Uh, we are coming to the last Sunday of this series of What Do I Do About? And we've been talking about issues that we face in our culture today and how we deal with those different issues. And just in a reminder, I'm just going to kind of talk through the last four or five Sundays, just a reminder of what are some of the things that we talked about. So the first Sunday, we actually talked about discernment. How do we discern things in, as we face whatever we're facing in our culture? And a couple of things that we set as, as just kind of foundational things was one is to go, let's realize as we're in this process of discerning stuff in our culture uh, that we uh, live in a post-Christian culture. Okay? This isn't about whether... Uh, the U.S. was founded on Christian um, values or not. This is, about, this is where we are today. Um, one of the stats that we brought out was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, 90% of people would say that they were a Christian. They would put that label on. Today, that's about 65%. And if the things continue to go the way they're going in our country um, they're, they're talking about by the time 2045, which I know seems like a long ways away, um, but Christianity will be a minority religion here in the United States of America. Does that mean that we're in a hopeless situation? No. Does, does that mean we need to walk around in fear? No. It's just going, this is just recognizing that's, that's what we live in. Um, <clears throat> We also talked about how important it is for us to really, as in this discernment process, to depend on God's Word, making sure that we know God's Word. That's one reason why we're memorizing it, because it can help us in this whole process. The other thing we talked about um, is just entitlement and the victim mindset that we see in our culture. And entitlement being the belief that one is inherently deserving of a privilege or a special treatment. And one of the things that I brought up is that wealth produces entitlement. Meaning when we live in abundance, all of a sudden we get used to abundance. And abundance goes from being a blessing to all of a sudden it, I deserve this blessing. Or I deserve this abundance. Now... We can look out there at people out there and see entitlement everywhere. But my question for us on that Sunday was, do I see entitlement in here? More specifically, are there ways that I'm living my life entitled? Then we talked about the woke culture and how do we deal and handle the woke culture that we live in today and I gave us kind of a little history and helped us understand that uh, this idea of woke actually started way back in the 1940s in the African-American community. And they had a phrase that was this, stay woke. And the idea behind the phrase in, this, in the African-American community is that when you leave your home and you go out into the community, racism was in such a bad place at that time back in the 1940s that you had to stay woke. You had to stay aware of what's going on because you can make one small wrong move and you would be put in jail automatically or your life would be in danger because of the racism that was going on um, in, in that time. Then over time, that phrase went from just there to that when we had some of the, 
uh, in the early uh, 2000s, um, where we had a couple of African-American young men being killed by police, all of a sudden that woke phrase, stay woke, began to be, uh, come into the greater community at large. And what is behind this comment or this phrase originally was being aware, staying awake to the injustices that are going on in the world. Now today, it has gone way off the rails because now that term woke is used uh, by both sides, by the, the progressive uh, liberals. It's used as a badge of honor. I am woke. I am much more aware of what's going on in this world than the rest of you. I am woke. By the conservatives, it's used as a label to put, oh yeah, those woke people. It's a term to put people down. And so we see in our society today how it has gone haywire. So the question that I brought up as we, what do we do is, how do we, instead of being divisive with this statement, how do we stay awake to the injustices of this world? All injustices. Recognizing that that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Jesus tells us often, care for the poor and the widow and the orphan. Those are on the marginalized. If you see injustice, step into it, no matter what the injustice is. Then we talked about politics and election. Uh, we contrasted uh, what Paul uh, has talked about in Philippians, and even in the early parts of Philippians, Paul had a contrast between two things. One is, are you an enemy of the gospel, or are you a citizen of heaven? And so we talked about that a little bit. What, what does it look like if my politics cause me to be an enemy of the gospel? It causes me to actually hinder the gospel from going out. Or am I, am I, do I see myself as a citizen of heaven first and foremost so that the gospel message is able to go out? Then Pastor Patty talked about unity, and she did a great job of talking about the division that is not only in our country, but in the church. And she reminded us of the fact that it is the evil one, the devil, that is causing that division, causing that destruction. So here we are, divided as churches, or divided as the church and we don't realize how in this division we are playing into the hand of the evil one. And so Patty challenged us all to walk in unity. And then last week I took some passages out of Romans 12 through 15. Now that the election is done, how do we live? And what does it mean for us to um, be to submit to the governing authorities, as Paul talks about in Romans 13, and how we are to love others, and how we are to bless and not curse. And so the question is, in what ways am I loving others, or in what ways am I cursing by the things they say? And how do I reel that back in? So I'll, through this whole thing, part of our question has been, as a follower of Jesus, how do I be like Jesus and do what he does. Because that's 
Our conversation this whole year as being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, means that we want to be with Jesus, we want to be like Jesus, and we want to do what he does. Those are words that are originally coined by Dallas Willard. But that's what we're talking about. In every situation, am I responding like Jesus or am I responding like the world? And that's why, as we've been in this series, Philippians 4, 4 through 9 has been our main passage because Philippians 4, 4, 4 through 9 helps us to get shifted so we can be more like Jesus. Because in every situation, we're going to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We're going to rejoice. And we're going to be gentle because we know the Lord is near. No matter what is going on in my world, I'm going to choose to be gentle. Why? Because I know that God is right here with me. And then we're not going to be anxious. The world is anxious. The Lord is near. Why are we anxious? So, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And the promise, the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Whew! How amazing is that? I mean, think about it. In a world that's going wonky, that is a word, I just want you to know. We can live in this world in peace. So, today is the last Sunday in this series, and next week we jump into Advent, but a number of you, as I was preparing for this series, had questions about what do we do about uh, all that's going on around human sexuality, and as I was putting this series together a couple of months ago, I became aware, I became aware of, one, we had too much to try to do in a short period of time, and when we had a conversation about human sexuality, it had to be more than one Sunday. So we are going to talk about what do we do about all that's going on regarding human sexuality. That'll be coming next February. So I just wanted you to know, those of you who had questions into me about that, I did not not hear you. I did. We are going to cover that in February. So ask that you be in prayer as I'm in the process of prepping for that and we'll continue to prep for that. But today as we end, um, I want us to just pull this all together and just go, you know, Paul is always giving the early church instructions how to live in their culture. Okay, he's, he's, al- he's always talking about, some of the stuff is very specific, here's what's going on in the culture, so this is how to live, and some of it is more broad-based, it's like, and, and that's what Philippians 4, 4 through 9 is, it's more, hey, here's, here's how you live no matter what's going on, and so in Philippians 4, 9, as we've recited, Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me and seen in me, put it into practice. You see, Paul's rabbi is Jesus, and he followed Jesus. Paul's way of life was Jesus' way of life. That was his rabbi. So now Paul is telling the church in Philippi, hey, whatever you see me do, whatever you've heard from me, put it into practice. And that's what we need to be doing in our relationship with Jesus. And so what does Paul tell him? 
Paul tells them to always rejoice. In fact, if you read through all of Paul's letters, there is a theme, there's a number of themes, but one of the themes all the way through his letters is this theme of rejoicing. Paul seems to have this mindset that no matter what you experience in life, as a follower of Jesus, you should rejoice. Now, I know that's contradictory to what our culture says, right? It's even contradictory to what some express at times in the church. But rejoicing is God's will for your life. Did you know that? Yep. Rejoicing is God's will for your life. I mean, we often wonder what God's will is, and most of the time it's decisions we need to make. Do I go into this career? Do I take this job? Do I buy this house? I mean, that's usually when we talk about God's will. Um, But there's other parts of God's will that we already know. The question is, do we do them? When I was thinking of this, I got thinking of, um, I know one of Terry's wills is that our bed is made every morning. It's not my will. It is Terry's. I mean, I have my reasons. I think, well, shoot, nobody's going to be in our room, so who cares? And in a few hours, I'm going to be back in there and messing it. But Terry wants our bed made, so... I know, I mean, sometimes she gets up before me in the morning. When, I, when she gets up before me, I, I make the bed. Why do I make the bed? Not because I want to, but because I know it's what Terry wants. And this is an odd illustration, but there are a number of things in the Bible that Jesus or other writers say this is God's will, it may not but we be what we want to do, but it is God's will, so we should do it. And here's an example. In Philippians or in First Thessalonians five, Paul writes these words to the church in Thessalonica. He says Rejoice always. Whoops, there it is again. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see that? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will in Christ Jesus. Now, I did a quick Greek word study, and the interesting thing is that the Greek word for always and the Greek word for continually and the Greek word in all circumstances, it means exactly what it says there. So to rejoice always means always. Pray continually means continually. Give thanks in all circumstances means always. All circumstances. It's pretty simple. So, 
Rejoice also. Now, I want to give you a little context here because, again, this was written to the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica experienced some of the most severe persecution of any church in the first century. So this is God's will for our life to rejoice always even includes in the midst of severe persecution. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 1 a little bit about these people. He says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. Notice how the word from Paul came with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. They received the message with joy, and that joy came from the Holy Spirit. So how do we rejoice always? It's based on our relationship with God. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us, and that, our relationship with God, that is revealed through the Holy Spirit, that is where our joy comes from. And then Paul continues and says, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. You see that? Because they received it with joy, because their life modeled joy in the midst of severe persecution, the message went out to the then known world that these people are filled with joy in the midst of persecution. This only happens when we submit to the Holy Spirit. Rejoice always. James 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Let's realize that when we face hard things, we can rejoice always because we know those hard things are going to mature our faith. Paul also tells us to pray continually. This is another practice we need to grow in. Again, don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, prayer is communication with God. Prayer is 
Uh, we need to pray continually. This is not being on our knees in our room with our list and going over our list over and over and over. Prayer is a personal dialogue with God. It's letting our requests be made known to God, but then it's listening to the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit communicating to you? It's a dialogue between you and the Spirit of God that resides in you. And so praying continually means be in continual dialogue with the Holy Spirit that's in you to help you imagine Jesus is walking with you in every situation and have a dialogue with Jesus right there no matter what you're facing. Hey, Jesus, what do you want me to do here? It's as simple as you go into the store. Jesus, is there anybody you want me to love here? You're facing something difficult at work. Jesus, how do you want me to handle this situation at work? Prayer is not just for the individual, it's also corporate. As a body of believers, we need to be praying often and continually. The book of Acts has a number of examples of the church gathering together and praying for situations, whether it's somebody in prison or direction for people in the church, whatever it may be. And I love Acts 4 because it talks about uh, John and Peter, they get, they're in prison And the church gathers and prays, and then they get out of prison, and then they pray. What do they pray for? They pray and glorify the sovereign Lord, and then they pray for boldness to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And that God would do signs and wonders. What, I wonder, is going to take for us, the church, not just us crossroads, but us, the church, to get to the point where we're going to meet corporately to pray for boldness and for God's Spirit to move in powerful ways. Is it going to take someone going to prison for their faith? Last thing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because... Again, the Bible tells us, Psalms 107, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. That's why we give thanks. Verse 8, Give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. That's why we give thanks always. Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Because we need to understand that for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. All good things come from above. So be thankful. Always. Continuously thankful. Even if your world is falling apart, be thankful because there is a piece of good in that. And what I'm talking here about in this rejoicing always and praying continually and giving thanks is a shift of mind. Take captive your thoughts and make it obedient. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But it's not false optimistic platitudes. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about honestly looking at the, every situation you're in and going, where do I see God in the midst of this situation? And then where I see God, I just I, I look at it from this direction. Oh, there's God. Oh, rejoice. 
I mentioned the, the three, four hardest years of Terry's and, and my life when we did the church plant thing and everything fall apart. In the midst of it, I had a hard time seeing the Lord in it, but it wasn't too much longer later that I was able to see, oh, God was all over the hardest three and a half years of our life. I would not remove those three and a half years from my life at all, but I would not want to go through it again. So rejoice in the Lord always. Pray, um, continually give thanks in everything. So how do we do this in closing? It begins and ends with your relationship with Jesus. You have to be intentional about moving towards Jesus. Second, recognize it takes practice. It, you're going you're gonna to look out of the flesh. You're going to. It's going to happen. But then get back and shift back into looking through the eyes of your, your spiritual eyes and see it again. It takes practice. Partner with somebody else. You can't do this on own. Whether it's your spouse or a close friend or a couple of close friends, be accountable to one another. And then do practical things. Like every day, write down five things that you're thankful for. If you're in the midst of something really hard, take some time and just go, where do I see Jesus in this really hard thing that I'm in right now? And then write it down. And then give yourself lots of grace. So let all of us then be a group of people who rejoice always, pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, first of all, I want to just ask for forgiveness for the times that I don't do this, that I look through my flesh eyes and I don't see you. Forgive me. And Father, I pray that you would help all of us together to do this. That together we would rejoice always. We pray continually and we would give thanks in every circumstance that we would partner together in this. Because Father, we desire to partner with you in the restorative work that you are doing in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, like last week, I'm going to ask you to pause for a moment because we love the fellowship and I love the fact, I apologize if you're already praying, um, but what I'd like to remind you is that the kids are ready to be picked up at 11. I'd like to remind you that in your group, take the next step in writing down prayer requests and pray for each other this week to extend our fellowship and praying together. So thank you for being here this morning. I just want to pray a scripture over you. Remember how last week um, Pastor Brad said, read Romans 12 through 15. So um, I really enjoyed it this week. So I would like to pray over you Romans 15 verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.